That was awesome. Thank you, choir. No summer slump for you guys, man. That was, that was awesome. It's good to have Nate back with us, too. And Morgan leaned over and said, I miss Nate. It's good to have you back from Thailand and around the world. Our God is a mighty fortress. It's good to have refuge in Him because there is no refuge apart from our Lord God. This morning, we're going to begin our, our final month in this five-month-long series on the purposes of the church. And it's been fascinating, really, for me personally to kind of do a, 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 not a deep dive, but a moderate dive into the five New Testament purposes of the church and, and to look at the scriptures and really examine what the Lord had in mind when he created this thing called the church. I continue to hear amazing things about this church in particular, about Woodmont's incredible history and, and legacy. If you haven't been in our heritage room just down the hall there, I encourage you to go check it out. It's an incredible testament to what God has done in this church over the last 75 years, all the, the hundreds of people that we've sent on mission trips around the world, that we've planted six churches that are thriving, that we've boldly took steps towards racial healing in a time in Nashville when it was very contentious, and that this church has ministered to countless Nashvillians over the years. I continue to meet people who say, oh, I, I met my wife at Woodmont, or oh, we, we got married at Woodmont, or my nephew went to Woodmont, and just it's amazing how many lives have been changed by this church. But now we have a chance to forge a new legacy going forward. You know, what will we leave behind for those who come after us here? What will these next 75 years look like for Woodmont and for the kingdom of God here on this corner in this community? Those kind of questions get me fired up, man. I'm excited about it. God has given us this amazing potential here to advance his kingdom in our community and around the world. If only we will be faithful to fulfill his purposes for the church. Worship, evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, and finally, ministry. So if you'll stand with me this morning in honor of God's word as I read our text from Ephesians chapter 4, our first text in this series, verses 10 through 13. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Like some of you may have experienced, I grew up in church. My family always grew up going to church, and whenever I hear the word ministry, I, I often used to think of church work, right? What ministers do for a job. After all, my dad was a minister. He went to seminary. He served churches in Texas before he moved here and worked at Lifeway, and I knew all about the ministries, seeing it firsthand through my, my dad's work. He went back to being a pastor in Franklin when I was a junior in high school. And 
As a teen, I honestly did not plan on going into the ministry. It was not on my radar. I, I didn't want to follow in my, my dad's footsteps, and it wasn't on my agenda. But I'll never forget one uh, summer evening, I was driving home from a, a friend's house. We had a Bible study at uh, my, my buddy's house in Temple Hills out on Sneed Road, and I had to drive back to my house on the other side of Franklin, and right when I got in the car, it just started pouring down. This summer thunderstorm came up, and I had had a wreck a, a year earlier driving in the rain at Hydroplane just out here on Wedgwood, uh, and uh, on the interstate near Wedgwood, and, and it almost totaled my car. And so I was really nervous about driving in the rain. I'm on Hillsborough Road going about 30 miles an hour, trying not to hydroplane. And I'm just praying. I'm just praying, you know, honest, bold prayers, saying, Lord, please get me home safely. And in that moment of prayer, I, I felt like the Lord was saying, I didn't hear a voice or anything, but I felt this pull that the Lord was calling me into vocational ministry. And when I got home, I, I had never mentioned this to my parents ever. And I said, Mom, Dad, you know, it was weird. I was driving home. I was praying in the rain. And, and I felt like the Lord may be calling me into ministry. And they kind of looked at each other and, and winked. And they said, yeah, we know. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you know? And my parents are people of great faith and, and, and prayer. And they, they said, we've been sensing that the Lord was calling you into ministry. But we wanted you to find out for yourself. <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, and I kind of dismissed it because... I was 18, and I still didn't think my parents knew anything, so I, I didn't think much about it. And then a couple weeks later, I had the chance to go to Australia for the first time on a mission trip with my church. And while I was there, I loved every minute of it. And the pastor of the church that we worked with there became a, a close friend of mine. And we were in the airport leaving, and he pulled me aside, and he said, Nathan, have you ever considered going into ministry full time? And I said, funny, you should say that. And so then a couple weeks later after that, we were at summer camp, youth camp, my last one ever as a senior, and, and I, we had this altar set up at the you know, front of the sanctuary where we were meeting, and we were each given a little rock, and we were told to come up to the altar and put our rock on the altar and surrender whatever we need to surrender to the Lord or something like that. And I remember I put my rock on the altar, and I said, this is my vocational call to ministry. I'm going to surrender to the ministry, when I put that rock down. I, the pastor search committee's heard this. Jana's nodding her head because the pastor search committee heard all that. And, and now you have too. So that's my call to ministry. When we got home, uh, the next week after summer camp, I came forward during big church, during the invitation. I told our pastor I'd been called to the ministry. And he presented me to the congregation. And he asked if they affirmed my calling to be a minister of the gospel and if they would voice their agreement by saying amen and they all said amen and I was in incredibly blessed to have the support and the the prayers of my family and of my church family as I went off to Belmont and then to seminary and I was so grateful for the way that they prayed for me and loved me through that preparation for ministry but sometimes when I read passages like Ephesians 4 I begin to wonder if we're confused about what the ministry is when we use that word. Is ministry something that's reserved for professionals, only those who have had special training, who have those kids who put the rock on the altar and surrendered their lives to vocational ministry? Is that what ministry is all about? I don't think so. Look at again at our, our text for today, starting in verse 10. It says, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Who's that talking about? Well, 
The answer in church is always Jesus, yes. Jesus descended to earth. He left his rightful place at the side of the Father and he came to earth and put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And then after accomplishing the work that the Father sent him to do, he returned to his place at the right hand of God. Then look at verse 11. And Jesus, he, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. I love this. Jesus didn't abandon us to figure out church for ourselves, right? He didn't just leave us alone and say, good luck, guys. He, he gifted us with leaders. He gifted us with these church leaders. He's, he's given us everything that we need in order to grow and to flourish as the body of Christ. You know, in other places in the Bible, when it talks about the gifts that Jesus has given the church through the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, it talks about the actual gifts themselves, right? Gifts like healing, teaching, leading, or serving. But here in Ephesians 4, the gifts that Jesus gives are the people themselves, Jesus actually gives us these people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. These are the people that God has given to lead the church. These are the people who help reveal the gospel, the truth of the gospel. They proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and they teach it to others. You know, I was having lunch this last week with one of our church members and Pastor Don Finto. Some of you will know Pastor Don Finto. He is a retired pastor, but he, he led Belmont Church just up the road for more than 25 years. And he said that sometimes they would look around their church from time to time and he would say, do we have any prophets here? No, we don't have any prophets. We need to find some. We need to get some prophets and make sure we get them here for our next meeting. Do we have any evangelists? We've kind of been missing uh, evangelists. We need to, to get a great evangelist. Who do we know who's a great evangelist? Let's get them here next week and let's let them speak next week because we need these five leaders in the church as gifts from Jesus Christ to help us flourish and be the church that he made us to be. We need all five of these gifts. We need the foundation of the apostles. We need the bold truth of the prophets. We need the gospel proclamation of the evangelist. We need the nurturing discipleship that shepherds do so well. And we need the wisdom of our teachers. In order to do what? Well, look at verse 12. It says that Jesus gave these people to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Uh-oh, wait a minute. I, I just said that I was called to ministry, right? I put my rock on the altar. I went to seminary. But this verse says that the church leader's job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So we call people who work at a church ministry, but in this verse, it's clear. The saints, you are the ministers, Maybe we should change your title, Trey, Minister of Youth. We, maybe they're the ministers, and we should figure something out here, Rachel. <laughs> we, you know, Richard and Rachel and Trey and I are the ministers here, right? But really, the ministry is for all of us, shared together. 
The ministry is not supposed to be done just by church leaders. Our shared ministry is really to help everyone else in our flock to do their ministry. I remember as a teenager, we had you know, some great speakers at summer camps. David Platt actually was our speaker one year at summer camp. And every now and then we'd get one that was kind of crazy though. And one summer we had this guy who was, he was a yeller, you know, and I don't, I don't know where he came from. And I don't know if he was teaching from this passage specifically, but I remember he was talking about the fact that every Christian is called to ministry, that every believer of Jesus Christ is called to be a minister. And he you know, I'll never forget him screaming. I'm not going to do it because I don't like to scream. But he, he said, uh-oh, that means if you're a Christian, you're called to ministry. You better call mama tonight and tell her you've been called to ministry. And I remember laughing about that at the time thinking, I am called to ministry. I'm going to be a minister. But everyone was called to ministry. And that's a true statement. As eccentric as that guy was, he had a point. You know, we get our, our modern word minister from the Latin, and it simply means servant or attendant. The Greek word in the Bible that that's taken from is the word diakono, which is like deacon, right? It simply means a servant, usually it referred to someone who waited on tables. It has nothing to do with vocational, professional church work. John Piper has a great book called Brothers Talking to Ministers. He says, we are not professionals. Ministering to others, doing the work of ministry is simply serving others, meeting needs. Christian ministry is meeting the needs of others in the name of Jesus Christ. And that is the calling that is laid on each and every Christian brother or sister who's here this morning. So if we're going to talk about Christian ministry, then we have to look first to the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I'm going to close the series the last week looking even more in depth at the ministry of Jesus, but I want to lay that foundation first too. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Philippians 2, we read in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Instead of using his rightful deity, his authority to, to make others serve him, Christ instead wrapped a towel around his waist and knelt down at the feet of his followers and washed each and every one of their feet. That is Christian ministry. But ever since Jesus ascended back to the, the, the right hand of God the Father, he has established the church to be his hands and feet on this earth. And he's sent us the Holy Spirit to fill us now, to fill the body of Christ here on earth. And he is our head and we are his body. And he's given us all that we need, including church leaders. So one of our key five purposes as a church is to seek 
to heal the hurts of others, of those that we encounter each and every day. You know, I've heard that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Have you heard that before? You know what stops that cycle is healing. We're called to heal the hurts of others just as Jesus healed. Christ's followers are to be about the work of serving those who need it most, always compelled by love of God and love of others. Thank you, Barbara Voller, for that lesson today. It's not just the church leaders that have been given these gifts for ministry. It's all of us, if you are a Christian. Yes, the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers have those corresponding gifts, at least they should, but the Bible's clear that all Christians have been given certain gifts through the Holy Spirit to be used for ministry. Therefore, no one's exempt from this calling to, to meet needs or to heal hurts in the name of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So again, our, our job as ministers, as church leaders, is to help everyone realize their gifting from the Holy Spirit who indwells them and to fan that gift into flames so they can minister to the needs around them. We all need to be seeking where God's at work around us and how we can join him in ministering to others there. So if all Christians are called to the ministry, then ministry is not optional, is it? It's essential for all Christians to minister. A lot of evangelical churches look at you know, social relief work as optional at best. Or some churches may even say that that kind of social justice ministry is just too liberal or it's not the church's business. But the Bible is clear. Look at James 2, 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and, warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Meeting physical needs is not some, you know, liberal function of apostate churches. It's the proof of our love of God. Jesus himself made that explicitly clear in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? I love that, that claim. They're like, we didn't do that. Jesus, we didn't do that stuff to you. And then, when, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? When did we see you naked or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will answer them, truly I say to you, 
as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that ministering to the poor, to the homeless, to the sick, and to the prisoners is a test of our salvation. If we know Jesus intimately, we will minister to these people. But our ministry is not based on, you know, feel-good, short-term projects. It's not based on any government uh, program either. Our true Christian ministry is a balance between word and deed. Because our ministry is not born out of, our, our ministry is supposed to be born out of a passion for the gospel, a passion for service and for justice that is rooted in the gospel. Most people think that we have to choose either evangelism or social justice, but the fact is that there is no justice without a proper understanding of the good news of redemption that is offered in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. I read a great article on the Gospel Coalition's blog by Jaquel Crow. She's 20 years old. She said this, the fundamental problem is that we've created a false dichotomy. When you pit justice and gospel against each other, you miss the point of the Bible and devalue God's heart for both. Justice fits squarely in the framework of biblical Christianity. It flows fiercely out of the gospel as a practical implication of loving God and loving others. If we want to live out justice the way that God commands and celebrates, we must prioritize the gospel. If we truly want to see human flourishing and reduce global suffering, we need to deal with the biggest problem that humanity faces, sin and death. When we talk about doing ministry, when we talk about meeting needs and healing hurts, <clears throat> excuse me, we must remember that the greatest need that anyone has is for the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul reminds us of the primacy of the gospel in our ministry. He says, therefore, having this ministry, we have this ministry, by the mercy of God, this ministry is just a blessing that we didn't deserve that God gave us, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then in verse 5, he gives us the content of this ministry. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We openly and boldly proclaim the truth of Scripture, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Master and Savior, and then we become servants for His sake, meeting the needs of others in His name. You know, I really do think that Woodmont is incredible at, at doing ministry in times of crisis especially. You guys meet each other's needs in incredible, uh, selfless, extravagant ways sometimes. I see that all the time. But first, let me challenge us to do two things today before we close. First one is, let's minister to each other like that all the time. Let's, let's not just be great at ministry in crisis to one another, but let's minister to one another like that all the time. 
where we meet each other's needs in, in, in ways that are not just superficial, but in ways where we help those who are hurting in tangible expressions of love. Our text said that the ministry that we've been given, that, that, that I'm trying to equip us to do, is for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature adulthood, to be grown-ups, to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's the goal. I, I want us to meet each other's needs in a way that builds up the body so that it grows into maturity in Christ-likeness. And the second challenge is to take that ministry outside the walls. Will you accept your call to ministry today? You don't need to go call your mama, but you, you do need to accept the fact that if you are a Christ follower, that God has gifted you and called you to minister to others in his name. Will you ask God to make you more aware of the needs of those whom he has placed in your life on a daily basis? Today as you leave, I want us to imagine that we are commissioned, because it's true, to go out into this world as we walk out these doors and to meet needs in the name of Jesus. If you notice that your server at lunch today is having a bad day, how can you meet his or her needs? How can you serve people at the grocery store? How can you be a blessing and minister to the needs of those around you? Our church has lots of ministries. Maybe you've never been involved in them. Maybe you're not pouring out into others yet, and you want to get involved in burrow bag ministry, packing bags on Wednesday nights and taking them over to Hillsborough High School on Thursday to feed food insecure families over the weekend. That program's ramping back up and we need hands to help us. Maybe you're gonna answer the God's call to serve with Rachel in preschool and children's ministry. That's a tough gig that she has constantly recruiting volunteers so that people like me can be in here without our screaming two-year-old running around. <laughs> That's an incredible ministry that so many people in this church do week after week without being thanked for it by anyone but Jesus and Rachel. <laughs> Whatever your ministry is, I pray that you would fan that ministry into flame as you leave this place today. The ministry exists out there. It's not in this room except for me and Richard <laughs> and our instruments and choir. <laughs> for the rest of you, the ministry is outside these walls. I hope that you're filled up today and ready to be commissioned and sent out to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word that shows us that we are all called to ministry. God, I pray that you would fan the gifts that you've given us into flame so that we can be your hands and feet in a world that desperately needs you. God, I thank you that you didn't just abandon us to figure out church and figure out how to be the body of Christ without you, but you sent your spirit to guide us, to fill us, to empower us, to boldly go forth, not ashamed of the gospel, 
but boldly proclaiming the truth that you are Lord. And to see earth become more like heaven and less like hell. To see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means seeking justice. That means meeting both immediate needs and looking long term at how to solve problems of this world, the social ills that plague this world. And we know the biggest problem of all, God, is sin. So we pray that people would find the truth of the gospel and let that be the basis for seeking justice around the world. God, we pray that you would use Woodmont Baptist Church to minister to others. Forgive us, God, I know there's weeks when I've been in more meetings than doing ministry, God. I pray that you would help us to deprioritize meetings and to emphasize ministry. God, I pray that we would find meaningful opportunities to engage each and every one of our members in ministering to others. God, we love you. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us and for the call that you've laid on our hearts to minister. We pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe today you've never surrendered your life to Jesus in the first time. You've never given that, that whole surrender of your whole life to him and received the free gift of salvation that he offers you through Jesus Christ. If that's you and you want to follow Jesus Christ today as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward during our invitation time and talk about it. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church and be a part of the ministry that we're doing here uh, on this corner and around the world, we invite you to come and talk about what it means to be a member of this church. Maybe you just want to pray. The altar is going to be open here for prayer. I'll ask Trey and, and, and Jane and Brad if they'll come forward, uh, and then I'm going to be here as well. Maybe if you just want to come kneel at the altar or pray with one of these people, that's fine too. Whatever the Lord's laid on your heart, I know we have some significant um, anxieties and worries and, and scary things going on in our lives. Take it to the Lord in prayer and, and listen to the call that he's laid on your heart. I was praying about getting home safe in the rain and the Lord called me into ministry. The Lord's calling you into ministry as you pray today as well. Will you stand and sing our, our hymn of invitation?